0: If God calls us to do something, what He is saying is take heart. It doesn't mean the trials, the tribulation won't come. But what He does promise us is that He has already overcome the situation. But it doesn't take away the trials and the difficulty of the current situation.
1: Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message.
0: I want to start off with a scripture for us. It's John 16, verse 33. In the ESV version, it says it best for me. It says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But there is good news. And it says, but take heart. For I have overcome the world. So trials in life is we cannot avoid them. It's 100% a fact that in this life we will have difficulty. It's undeniable. It's unavoidable. But there is good news at the end of that. And the good news is Jesus Christ and his gospel. Amen. But he does give us instruction and he says take heart. Despite these difficulties, despite the tribulation that you will have, take heart because I have already overcome the world. So you see, being a Christian doesn't mean that the world around us is perfect. In fact, Jesus says we will have tribulation, but being a Christian means that inside you will have peace because Jesus is inside of you. So the storm might be raging outside, but inside we will have peace. You know, when COVID came in 2020, I thought to myself, being a a born again believer in Jesus Christ, it was still tough. The uncertainty, the storms that we were facing. Many people lost their jobs, houses, cars, all that kind of thing. But But I thought about this, how would it have been if I was an unbeliever? not having any hope, not having any assurance, not having fire insurance, as I call it. You know, one day you're going to go up or down. You need fire insurance. Okay. It's the wise thing to do. And I thought to myself, you know, being an unbeliever, what, what kind of stress and anxiety would, would you have had going through those storms, not having Jesus as the anchor and the hope in our lives? And, um... So Jesus tells us that we will have tribulation. It won't be easy, but we need to take heart. I want to share a brief testimony with you guys. In, in 2020, I had the privilege to swim the Robben Island Crossing, which is a, a 8K swim from Robben Island to Bloberg. It's a sporting event. Can you believe people do it for fun? Um, but anyway, I don't know what came over me, but I thought it was a good idea to do this. And um, while I was, we were training for the swim and it's quite a a grueling um, endeavor to take on. You know, just because of the the sheer, the cold of the water is a big factor. It's anything between nine to 13 degrees Celsius. And, you know, I grew up on a farm. Um, We don't, um, we don't even have bathtubs. We just shower on the farm. So swimming was not natural to me at all. Um, but somehow I thought it's a good idea to go and do this, and I just felt the prompting of the Lord to to swim the Robben Island crossing. And you know, while we were swimming, um, the the biggest you know there's a fear of what's beneath you, okay. And this is it's deep water, okay. It's like black beneath you. It's not like you can see the sand or anything. It's it's very deep. Um, and as you swim you constantly have this thing in your mind what is beneath me you know but after about 30 minutes one hour of swimming you get so tired that you do not care what's beneath you that you actually wish there was a shark beneath you (laughs) that this thing can just end now um but as i was swimming so they have a um i would say a detergent for sharks or a, a method to protect you from the sharks and that method Um, Apparently it's well tested, and what it is, is there's a little rubber duck next to you uh, that's made of a pontoon, you know, that can get a hole in, it punctures quite easily, and it's about the size of from here to the speaker, all right? So if a shark comes and they detect it on the fish finder, they just say, okay, get in the boat, all right? That's their method of protection. It's not a shark cage, it's not some shark repellent or anything, It's literally, there's a shark, get in the boat, all right? I thought, that's okay, I can deal with that, but the problem is, how do I get back in the water knowing that there is a shark now? Um, And while we were swimming at one stage, so you swim very close to the boat, okay? You can almost touch it, because the boat guides you all the way. When you're in the water, you can't see that far. You see the, the flats in Bloberg, they're little anthills. Now you can't guide yourself there because you're swimming, you're level with the water. So they GPS you all the way to there. So you stay close to the boat, if a shark comes you hop in the water and um, that's, that's basically how the swim works. But as we were swimming, I, was, I heard them say something on the boat, the captain talking to the lifeguard and they didn't know that I was actually listening to the conversation going on. Because you're swimming, there's literally nothing else to do. You know, and as I was swimming I could hear every second sentence because as you swim your your head goes underwater and it comes up and then you can hear something. Okay? So <laughs> And while I was swimming I heard the, um, the the captain say to the lifeguard, he says, Wow, something big just went underneath us. And I'm swimming, and my head goes underwater, and I'm like, "Did I hear correct?" And as I come up again, I heard him say it is about twice the size of the boat. Okay, and I was like, "Ah, oh, no, am I hearing correct?" And I'm going up, and I'm hearing again, and I thought, "Let me just check in with them. You know, is everything okay? What's happening?" And um, and I asked them, "Hey, is everything all right?" This was nog and they're like, "Yeah, don't worry. Just keep on swimming. We'll, we'll tell you if something um, is coming." You know um, and it's at that point that you start picking up the pace and that's that's when you finish that swim in record timing but as I was coming closer to the edge all right it was about six and a half k's in so you can see the beach you can smell the ice cream on the beach and everything and it's so close but it's just not there And I remember swimming, and that's when it became really tough. So anyone that does endurance racing will know there's a point in an endurance race where it's a mental barrier. You're past halfway, but you're not quite there. You're about 60, 65% of the way. You're almost at your most tired moment, but in the, the home stretch, you get like a new energy, a new burst of energy, but that's just before that. And it's a very deep and dark place to be mentally. And I was having this conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, I know you called me to do this. I know you put it on my heart, but this isn't easy. This is really, really tough. And, you know, the Lord just gave a very brief response. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, speaking into my heart, he says, Alvain, I never said it will be easy. I never said it will be easy. Just that. Just that. And life is very similar. If God calls us to do something, what he is saying is take heart. It doesn't mean the trials, the tribulation won't come. But what he does promise us is that he has already overcome the situation. But it doesn't take away the trials and the difficulty of the current situation. And that was a big reality check to me. think that wow even though God called me to do something he's going to give me the strength to do it but he's not going to take away the trials and the tribulation because oftentimes in the trials and the tribulation is what he will use to form you to shape you to develop you for a greater purpose for something bigger And I believe what Western Christianity has taught us is just focusing on the blessing. And I believe in the full counsel of God. I believe in prosperity, blessing, all those great things. But there's a very important factor that we need to take into account. is picking up our cross, denying ourselves, and facing the music. Because God is in control. Yeah, amen. And. on, on that note, I actually, I brought two of my, my books with that I just want to bless two people with, the testimony of the sharks and all that stuff is in here. Um, I missed the part, is there someone's birthday, was it in the week or was it, is it today? I don't know, we, we sang for someone, who was that? Well, okay, but, but you have a book, don't you? You have a book. To who do you want to give this book? I want to give, you can tell who you want to give it to. Pick anyone. Okay, you can come and fetch this. And the other one, I want to give it to the, um, you have the anniversary. Is that right? Okay, okay. All right. So the message that we actually want to get to that I actually want to talk about. Yes, take heart, and I want to I want to refer to the story of um, Elijah on Mount Carmel, the showdown on Mount Carmel. Okay, everyone's familiar with that. I'm going to paraphrase a bit and then go into the a bit of a detail, so you can we can see that in 1 Kings 18. And basically what happened here is Elijah confronted Ahab, the king of of Israel at that time. And he confronted him and told him, listen, you've been following the prophets of Baal and judgment is coming upon your house. And what Elijah said, he says, let's go settle this once and for all. Okay. And they went up on Mount Carmel and they created these altars. And he said, the God that, that answers by fire, he is the true God. Okay, so all the prophets of Baal came together, Elijah came together, they took two bulls, and they said, okay, let's build an altar, and let's sacrifice these bulls, and you call down from uh, your God, Baal, call down fire from heaven, if he answers, then he's God, and I will call down fire from heaven from uh, Yeshua, okay, from my God, and whoever answers by fire, that is who is truly God. Now, one thing that we need to know about Elijah, he was a very interesting character. We read in 2 Kings 1 and 8 in the NLT version. Maybe you can just put that scripture up for us. Okay, he was a very interesting character because the Bible describes him as, he was a hairy man and he wore a leather belt. That's that's his description. Now, can you imagine if someone describes you in that way? I buy a borsa and I draw a, a belt on tomsay life. You know, it, I come from a small town, and that's usually how they describe people: Peter screwdriver or you know, stuff like that. And when I read this, I'm like, this is, must have been a very interesting man. Okay. And um, as the story goes, Elijah then gets the prophets of Baal together, and he says, "Okay, you go first because you are many." And the Bible actually tells us that he started, he mocked them. He literally, he mocked them as they were, were jumping around, screaming, uh, going crazy, you know, trying to get Baal to respond. And Elijah actually says, maybe you must scream a little bit louder because Baal is sleeping. Maybe you must cut yourself a little bit more. And he was literally mocking them because of their false god. And as the story goes, Elijah goes, and he rebuilds this altar because they were even jumping upon the altar and it was breaking down. And so Elijah goes, he rebuilds the altar. He slaughters the bull, he cuts it up. He even soaks it with water. He throws water all over it completely. And he calls, calls upon our God, Jesus Christ, who is in heaven. And he calls down fire from heaven and it consumes the whole altar. It even licks up the water because there was a moat around this altar and it completely consumes everything. And he says, all right, okay. And then he slaughters the 450 prophets of Baal. And I think he must have gotten help somewhere. Because can you imagine, I mean, like slaughtering 450 people, your, your arm would get so tired. So I don't know, maybe he got help somewhere. Um, I don't know how we did it. One day we'll ask him, But as the story goes, when after he slaughtered the 450 prophets of Baal, Jezebel found out about this, which was the queen of King Ahab. She found out about this and she said, well, I'm coming after you. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna kill you like you destroyed those prophets. I'm coming after you. And then we see Elijah fleeing for his life. Now, can you imagine this? The mighty prophet Elijah, he did signs and wonders. He called down fire from heaven and one death threat caused him to start fleeing. So even after his greatest victory, the enemy came and intimidated him and threatened his life. And that's what we see today. After our biggest breakthroughs in life, the enemy will come and threaten you and attack you and try and press you down. And I think we've all experienced that somewhere in our life. You've just gotten the best news. You just got a, a work promotion. You just got uh, you know, a new house or a new car or whatever it may be. And then the enemy comes and he wants to steal, kill and destroy just after your breakthrough from the mighty man of God. So even the toughest warriors get knocked down. It happens. This very same spirit of Jezebel was the same spirit that attacked John the Baptist when he was in jail. You remember that story? John the Baptist, um, he told Herod that he can't marry um, his brother's sister and he got put into jail. And Herodias called for his head. They wanted to kill him. And he sent messengers to Jesus asking, are you the Messiah or am I, must I keep looking? So think about this. This was the same John the Baptist who said, I am preparing a way for the Messiah. And then when he was in prison, he questioned if God was still with him. He saw the heavens open and a dove descending upon Jesus. He baptized the Messiah and when he was in prison, he questioned if God was even with him. So, in our state of vulnerability, when we're down in the pit, when we're in the wilderness, we question if God is still with us. Even after our greatest victories, we question if God is truly with us. And we know that He is always with us and He will never leave us. It's impossible. So then Elijah uh, calls upon the Lord, and God tells him, Well, let me just say this. Elijah didn't finish his calling. He said, Lord, take me from this. I don't want to do this anymore. God didn't really argue with him either. He said, Go and anoint Elisha for me. He goes to Elisha. Elisha's busy farming at that stage. And we read this in 2 Kings 19, verse 21 in the NIV. And it reads, just waiting for the scripture. And it says, so Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then they set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. So let me just backtrack a little bit. Elijah went to Elisha. He anointed him. He threw his mantle over him, calling him and Elijah, Elisha answered the call upon his life. And this is what said, what he did. He was busy farming with the 12 yoke of oxen and he went and he slaughtered the oxen. He burnt the farming equipment and he followed Elijah. He came running after Elijah. He answered the call of God upon his life with, with a, a zeal, with eagerness. You know, even as it said, he destroyed the farming equipment. He slaughtered the oxen, meaning there was nothing even to go back to. That's like when God calls you to leave your job and you leave your job and then you go to your boss and you tell him, you know what? I never wanted to work here anyway. (laughs) And you blow down (laughs) your blast, Don't Don't do that. But that's basically, you're not going back to that job ever again. And that's what Elisha did. He burned the farming equipment. There was no way of going back ever again because it indicated his commitment to answer the call of God upon his life. So even though God has called him at that stage, he still went through various trials until he received the promise that was given him on the first day that God called him. So oftentimes God will call us into something But there is a process involved until we receive or step into the fullness of that calling. And that in-between process is extremely important. That's the forming, the making, your character-building process. So even though Elisha was called, he went through this process. And that's when Elisha was truly, he was tested in that time. He was tested. Now. I'm 33 years old at this stage right now, and my generation, I say this, I can only speak for my generation because this is what I see, is a generation that when things get too tough, we back out. We try and find an alternative. When a marriage isn't working, I'm going to get a divorce, I'm going to move on. If a job isn't working, I'm going to quit. I'm going to find something else. If the study direction isn't working for me, I'm going I'm to move on. Because we have lost the ability, first, to wait upon the Lord. And secondly, to bite on our teeth and grind it out. To have that grit. And sometimes that is what God is requiring of us in our life. When things get tough to really stick it out. Do not doubt that this is the direction that God has called me in. As I said, God may call you into something, but it won't always be easy. You will have tribulation. But take heart, because he has already overcome. Amen. So God puts us then through various trials. I know this is probably not a a popular message, but I believe it is needed in a time like this. If we truly want to walk in the fullness that God has for us, we have to endure the trials that God puts us through. It's for our good. Trust me. It's for your good. So he puts us through various trials. The first trial that Elisha went through was the testing of his determination As they went, they started at Gilgal. They went to Bethel, from Bethel to Jericho, from Jericho to Jordan. All along the way, they weren't alone. It said that the school of prophets was moving with them. So Elisha was only one of the servants that followed Elijah. And all along the way, people fell off along the way. People started to take other routes because some people will... Drop their calling because of the difficulty that it is. They will not finish their calling because it is simply too difficult. They will abandon it. They will take other routes because it is just too difficult. They will forsake their calling by the difficulties and trials they will face. And maybe pursuing your calling isn't quite everything that you thought it would be. I'm going to say that again. Many people choose different paths because what they see in front of them isn't quite what they thought it would be. Maybe answering the call upon God, of God upon your life isn't as financially fulfilling as you thought it would be. Maybe we've been sold a lie even that it's all going to be sunshine and roses and we keep our eyes focused on what it could be Instead of Jesus. Because remember, when you answer the call of God upon your life, it is about Jesus. Not about the extras. I always say this, that you will reap the benefits of the word of God, of the kingdom of God. You will get that. You will see that. Matthew 6.33 tells us that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be be added. So it was at this stage that God was testing his determination. Basically, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? If you look at any great men or women of God and you see an anointing upon their life, I can promise you they paid a very expensive price for that. They paid a very expensive price for that precious oil that you see so when we look at great men and women of God we see the great works that's happening and we desire that but there is a cost there's a price tag involved uh, attached to that and that price tag is your commitment it's your time it's your willingness and if you want to walk fully in what God has for you it will cost you everything will cost you everything. There's no room for my desires, my dreams. We have to pick up our cross and follow him fully. In the Bible when it says, when Jesus says, those who desire to come after me must pick up their cross and deny themselves. Picking up our cross does not mean to carry our own burdens, anxieties, and weight of the world, that's unscriptural. Because the word of God tells us, cast your cares upon me. Picking up your cross means, in the Bible, everyone knew, if I was picking up my cross, I was walking to my death. That was the sign of, of the cross. It was, you were going to die right now. So when Jesus was saying, pick up your cross and follow me, it means that you have to die to yourself. That's the first step of following Jesus. Denying ourselves and following him. The second test he he went through is the test of his patience. I think we've all gone through that test many times in our life. That's also a very dangerous prayer to pray is Lord give me more patience because he's gonna send situations and people in your life that's gonna frustrate you to develop that fruit of patience. So be very careful when we pray that. He was tested his patience. As he went along, all the, the other servants they kept on saying to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? They told him that. This is why are you even following Elijah? God is going to take him away. Why do you keep on following him? And this is where his patience was tested. That what is your response in certain situations? Did he lash out at them? Did he go after them or did he simply ignore them and keep his eyes focused upon what God has called him to do? He only told them, be quiet. That's what he said, he says, be quiet. I'm going this way. He wasn't deterred by the outside voices. I I wanna say this, that most of what we classify today as spiritual warfare is merely Christians attacking other Christians. I'm, I'm being completely honest. We, we operate a lot on, on social media and that kind of stuff. I do not get almost any backlash from, from unbelievers. I'm completely honest with you. If you were here last week in Yoandres' message, he spelled it out nicely. <laughs> we get the most resistance, the most attacks from believers. That's not spiritual warfare. I think the devil is sitting back. He's like, you guys got it. I'm just going to wait here. You guys finish each other off. I'll take the scraps. So most of what we call spiritual warfare today is just one Christian going after another, denomination or whatever. Can we just drop all that and just focus on Jesus? I always ask the question before we, we comment on what someone else is doing, are they preaching a different gospel than Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. If they are, then you can say something. But if they are not, then Paul said, the gospel is still going forth. People are still being saved. People are still being set free. How that looks to one uh, denomination or church is different to another. It's different flavors. That's it, that's it. Let's just keep our eyes focused on Jesus, all right? And stop worrying, what is our neighbor doing? Because we're all on the same team. Amen? Amen? Amen. So the testing of his patience. The Bible tells us that at this time, they have been walking about 50 kilometers. Now, for most people, that's reason to give up. Okay, that's far enough but it's in this waiting time that our true intentions are revealed. So what I've seen, if God has called us into something, there's oftentimes a period that we describe as a wilderness season. And it's in this wilderness season that we can really see the condition of our heart. When nothing is going on in your life, when it's stagnant and stale, then you really discover how bad do I want this? Am I willing to stick it out? Am I gonna be patient with this? Even though I don't see anything happening in my life, am I gonna be patient and wait upon the Lord? And we all go through that season of wilderness and waiting. So it's in the waiting that our true intentions are revealed. And oftentimes God, He knows your heart He doesn't need any man to testify to him. He knows every man. He knows what's inside of us. But oftentimes God will reveal these things so you can see what's in your own heart. So you can see what's in your own heart. What really comes to the surface. And the last one is the testing of his character. Does Elisha have the character to sustain the anointing and gifting that he is about to receive? Does he have the character to sustain that? I've seen people that are very gifted but they don't have any character. And after a while, they fall flat. It's dangerous, it is. Because your character will sustain the gift. It will sustain the gift. So oftentimes, God will develop your character first before the gifting in your life. If it's the other way around, it's dangerous. So do not despise when the Lord uh, chastises us, when he teaches us, when he develops our character. Because he's more concerned upon your character and your heart than he is about you operating powerfully in the gifting of the Holy Spirit. It's the character. There's this uh, image that they portrayed and it has like two characters. Lines of people. In the one line, we see people standing in line to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the other line is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the line that has the gifts is like all the way there, outside the church, to Stellenbosch, and the people that stand in line to receive the fruit of the spirits, like one or two people. We need to. We really need Galatians. I believe it's in Galatians five. We really need to focus on the fruit of the Spirit. It's more important than the gifting, in my, in my regard. That's what I would say. I wouldn't build my doctrine around that, but in my regard, I say the fruit of the Spirit is really important. And that's why God puts us through these tests and trials. So we look at that, that key scripture, John 16:33 says, "I says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That word, tribulation, means pressure. It means pressure. It talks about the crushing. It's the same word, that word, tribulation, is the same word that they use, in a vat. Or if you press olives to get the olive oil out. So if you want the new wine, if you want the oil, if you want the anointing, you will have to go through the tribulation. The pressure, the crushing process, if you want to get that out of the grapes. King Saul is a very good example that he was anointed, he was gifted. The Bible even tells he was one of the most handsome men that there were, but he didn't go through the same trials that David went through, and he didn't have the character to keep him in that position. And we all know how Saul ended. He started out great, but he ended terribly. It really didn't go well for him. In the end of his his reign, he even consulted a medium. He had Samuel as his prophet, as his seer. At that time, they had prophets and seers uh, designated to kings, and they were the intermediate between God and the king. They listened what was heaven saying, and they spoke the word to the king. And Saul even went to a medium at that stage which the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 18 is completely out, which is just a demonic source of of the prophetic. So the greater the gift that God can entrust you with, the greater character will be required because the gift upon your life will draw people and oftentimes money to you. It will. And now the question is, what will you do with that? So if you have this amazing gift of God and people come, they're drawn to the ministry, what will you do with that? Will you take the honor for yourself or will you direct them to Jesus? And character determines that. So right at the end, they finally reach the Jordan. And before Elijah is taken away, he asks Elijah, what do you want? What do you want of me? Now think of this, Elijah, mighty prophet, he could have done anything. Many signs and wonders he performed. So he literally could have given him anything at that point. Could have given him fame, fortune, all the oxen, cattle, whatever he wanted. Long life, anything, because he was a prophet that performed signs, wonders, miracles. He literally could have done anything. And he asked him, what do you want? So when God asks you, what do you want? Don't be too hasty to answer. Think about that one for a while. And Elisha passed the test. He said, I wanted a double portion of your spirit. And the moment that he said that, the double portion of the spirit of Elijah wasn't for Elisha. One, it will glorify God. And two, it will serve his people. So Elisha didn't get anything from that because being a servant of God means you serve other people. So he passed the test at that stage. He asked for the right thing. He asked something that will glorify God and serve his people. And the Bible tells us that he performed exactly double the amount of miracles that Elijah did because his character, his heart, was in the right place. So after all these trials, testing of his determination, his patience, his character, he was refined by fire. He passed the test right at the end and he picked up the mantle and he got the double portion that Elijah had. So oftentimes God will will put us through our our paces to develop something inside of us that when we get faced with a question right at the end that we will make the right decision at that time. So maybe you're facing some trials right now, maybe you're facing some tough times right now. It's for a reason that God wants to develop something inside of you in this season. Yesterday um, we attended this this conference and I I love what, what Andre said, Andre Bronkost, He talked about that we so often wanna move out of the season that we are in right now. We pray, Lord, get me out of this place, get me out of this season. I don't wanna be here anymore. The reality is God is just as present as he is in your current season, as he will be in the next season. So you keep on trying to pray to get out of the presence of God, but he's trying to do something with you in that season. We need to embrace every single season that we're in. We're constantly waiting for the breakthrough, for the anointing, for the release in ministry, for someone to lay hands upon me and I will receive something and then and then my life is going to look so much different. But we lose the power of now. So we either live in the past or we live in the future and we forget about the now. And the moment he said that, I realized, wow, I've been taking for granted my current season. How ungrateful have I been that God is with me right here, right now in this season, even though, let's say the circumstances are not nice. Let's say they suck. God is still with you. He's just as present as he is right now that he ever will be.